You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. While you were skipping stones, building forts, and flying kites, I was missing school and on my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me, growing up Broadway. Little me. Hello, I'm Mark Tuminelli, and welcome back to the Little Me Podcast. If you're not following our little Instagram, stop everything and go give us a follow at Little Me Podcast. My guest today is a recording artist and an actor who made his Broadway debut at age 11 as Colin in The Secret Garden. He also appeared on Broadway in Wicked and Xanadu. In 1992, he was named Ed McMahon's Junior Vocalist Star Search Champion, beating a then-unknown Britney Spears. We'll do a deep dive on that for sure. His off-Broadway credits include My Big Gay Italian Wedding, Pageant, and Loss of Roses. He was featured in the film The Big Gay Musical. He played Damon on Two Broke Girls and Charlie on Grace and Frankie. He's a vocal arranger, producer, and a backup vocalist who has sung with stars like Billy Porter, Grace Jones, Patti LaBelle, Jennifer Holliday, Stephanie Mills, My Girl Debbie Gibson, Barry Manilow, and many more. His latest album, Slow Dancing with a Boy, was released to Broadway Records this past December. I'm so excited to welcome Mr. Show Business himself, Marty Thomas. Hi, Mark. Hi, Marty. How are you? I'm so good. Oh my God, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so excited to talk to you. You've had such a long, incredible, diverse career doing so many things in the industry. And I think your story is so incredibly interesting. So thank you for being here. Oh, that's so nice of you. Thank you for having me. Always. All right, let's start. Let's talk about your album, which was released in December. It's called Slow Dancing with the Boy. Tell me the story. How did it come about? How did you put together that collection of songs? It's a beautiful, brilliant album. Thank you. Um, it, it's a very personal project. It it all started um, with a little bit of heartbreak, as many projects do. Uh, I happened upon a um, like a HuffPost style article that was very clickbaity. That was um, essentially boy goes to prom, and um, there was a picture of a boy with another boy going to prom, which for me and my age group and my generation, that was that's an anomaly. Unheard of. <laughs> uh, kind of unheard of. Not 
completely, but uh, safely growing up in a small Midwest farm town, it was unheard of. So <clears throat> I clicked the link and somewhere in my heart and mind, I expected to see the article be about this, these boys, these beautiful boys getting beaten senselessly um, and getting hurt and it being a very sad article. And I just sort of like bit the stick and clicked the link to read it and see if they were okay. And I was so confused because I'm seeing this collection of photos of these boys at the top of the stairs, like an 80s makeover montage movie, and their parents are taking pictures of them. And they're proud of this moment of these boys going to prom together and having this normal coming of age moment. And then there was a picture of them at the prom and their friends were just dancing around them, not staring at them, not keeping 10 feet apart, making sure it's okay. There was no question that it was just a boy on a date. Um, and I kept reading and he won prom King and he had such a beautiful experience that had no backlash and he wasn't worried about how it was being interpreted. And I would love to think of myself as somebody who would think that was so beautiful and cool and progress. And I found myself so bitter and angry about it. Um, not that this kid had had this honest moment, but that I, never realized that I felt robbed of that coming of age moment and those basic moments that people are afforded as the human experience that I somehow with growing up in a religious background, growing up in a farm town had convinced myself that I wasn't worthy of and mm -hmm. wasn't it was, I wasn't valid and that those kids, those straight kids deserved that moment. And I somehow deserved to stay hidden away. Uh, which, you know, then manifested itself and it marinated and it turned into, well, how many moments have I squandered in my life because I didn't feel like I was valid or worthy? And how did that manifest itself in me manipulating the truth and lying and telling half-truths and convincing myself and other people that I was more than I was because I didn't feel enough based on a childhood of feeling not enough, enough. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> that religion and family and whatever had told me was the truth. And I, I started, it just stayed with me for months and months and months. And every time I would hear a song come on the radio, the kind of song that takes you back to high school or college or those moments, those school dances or camp, a song would come on and it would just stab me. It would take me to seeing those two boys having that moment. And I would replay all the times in my childhood and adolescence that I didn't participate in my own life. Did you feel like making the album and putting the songs out and sharing them has healed that a little bit for you? I mean, I'd love to say 100%. That was the goal uh, that I took all of these songs that kept popping up in my life uh, that were moments from school dances or moments from my childhood that all had very specific meaning and kind of turned them on their ear and rearranged them in an effort to pull them back into the light to love those songs again rather than them being a stab of pain. I wanted them to be joyful again. So I took... Uh, Music, uh, I took Mariah Carey's Dream Lover, which was a really big song my junior year in high school, and uh, I arranged it as a country two-step with Rachel Potter and Jamie Ray. So good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that it was kind of an homage to a dance that my school had called the barn warming. 
which in creating actually project, sounds like a nightmare. It, it was, it was a nightmare. It was in this place called the rock barn, which was a barn made of rock. And it was horrible. It was like the school dance where you knew people were going to fight and you knew people were going to be drinking in the parking lot. And um, it was just awful. But of course I went and in putting this together and talking to people about this project and talking to people about all the school dances that we had, I realized my school had like nine times the school dances that anybody else had. Yeah. I think my school had like two a year. It was like, we had maybe so a fall many. and a spring thing. That was it. We had yearbook dance and homecoming dance and barn warming dance and, um, uh, of course, prom. And then we would have like a Sadie Hawkins. Sadie Hawkins, yeah. It felt like we had a new dance every month in the gym. Um, I'm obsessed with your cover of Crazy For You, Madonna's song. It is my favorite thing on the album. You sound incredible on it, but there's something that is so rich about it and it feels very personal. So I was wondering if you have, what's your connection to that song? I mean, I, I was a a gay child living in the 80s. So my connection is- <laughs> so much like my own. <laughs> is purely similar. Madonna. Yes. Uh, Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. And all of her music was like, so omnipresent in the life of any child or teenager in the eighties. Yeah. So uh, that was one song that I had always found so romantic. And um, when I had done, I did a duet with Michael Kilgore that I had arranged of a Vanessa Williams song, save the best for last with a Brian Adams song that was huge when I was in middle school from the Robin hood soundtrack. Um, Everything I do, I do it for you. So I mashed the two songs up because they were these really powerful songs my seventh grade summer. And um, I had gone to this music camp and there was this boy that I was just had a huge crush on but didn't understand it. And <clears throat> I think as a gay kid in the Midwest, you know that if you talk to each other, people are going to be on to you. So you avoid each other like the plague, but you just connect and stare and catch eyes. And there was a dance at the end of the week that I just kept seeing moments that I would like try to play it out in my head that the dance floor would sort of create a path and just walk up to him and talk to him and just say hi. And I never took the opportunity. You'll feel it in my kiss because I'm crazy for you. Touch me once and you'll know it's true. It's all brand new. You'll feel it in my case. I'm crazy for you. You mentioned Michael Kilgore. There's a lot of amazing people on your album. There's so much backup singing. It does feel very theatrical and in its sense that it feels bigger than just one person in a microphone. How did you decide who you wanted to include on the album? I know that you've worked with, you know, amazing, incredible singers. How does then Marty Thomas decide, okay, these, these are my people who are doing this with me. Um, it, it, the album sort of just, um, it was a long process. It was a multi-year project of figuring out what this project actually was and what it was going to be, uh, from inception to final product. It changed dramatically. Um, and became more and more personal as it developed. My best friend, uh, Jamie Ray, produced the album. And uh, Jamie Ray is the arranger and one of the vocalists with the uh, super famous acapella group Voctiv. So he is, uh, that is his specialty, is acapella arrangements and vocals. And I love choral arrangements. So Jamie and I have always really clicked uh, 
in our love for that sound. When we were choosing the material and coming up with the arrangements, um, everything just sort of started happening organically. We recorded the album in Orlando at Rollins University, where Jamie is a professor. And so we found, we used a lot of um, crazy, talented Orlando vocalists in the choir. And it a lot of at times, it just was, who's available this day? And it just kept happening that the, my favorite singers in the country just happened to be around and not doing anything that day. And uh, we, Rachel, my potter, Jamie and I's uh, ride or die bestie, Broadway star. It's so talented. So talented. That recording of her singing Another Suitcase, Another Hall is, I've listened to it like a thousand times. There's a fascinating story behind that that I should tell you at some point about her, how she booked that role. But it was just, you know, when you're really close with somebody, as you are with so many Broadway performers, when you get to see that, like, that journey and that success story, it's it's just magic because you get to see how it happened in a way that nobody else does, you know? Yeah. Uh, so Rachel flew in that we had intended that she was going to do the dream lover arrangement that I had written for with Jamie and Rachel that I'd written for the three of us. And she was there on a day we were recording vocals. So we got her on all of the, um, super high soprano. Uh, it's wild. The range that she has, she was doing whistle tone things in, uh, in my arrangement of somewhere she was singing first soprano down to first alto all over the page, all over the page, um, because she's so diverse and unique. Um, uh, uh, Tiffany Coburn, uh, is a singer on the record. She is essentially Sandy Patty's vocal double. Okay. She uh, is the woman that they call to warm up an audience for Sandy Patty. And she's always covering that. And a lot of the singers from Voctive, um, just amazing vocalists. And of course, when I wrote the seventh grade arrangement, I wrote it with Michael in mind. And I reached out and asked him um, if it was an opportunity, if there was going to be an opportunity with his busy schedule to get him into the studio. And I thought I'll record his vocals in New York. And uh, he said, where are you recording the album? And I said, Orlando. And he was like, I'm going to Orlando tomorrow. <laughs> if he's from there. So. Oh my God. So perfect. I, I know. It was literally Mentally. that meant to be. And uh, I wasn't in the studio when he recorded it. I was on Skype and Jamie was you know, directing it and producing it. But I think the record sounds so organic. Oh, it sounds like you guys are in the same room. It's, it's so you could hear the connection between you two. It's really gorgeous, Marty. Congratulations. I hope everyone listening here will uh, download it, pay full price because it is, it's really <laughs> dynamic. It does not, it feels like such a labor of love. And uh, I've, I've so enjoyed listening to it and I know people are loving it. So congratulations. It's so cool. Thanks a lot, Mark. I appreciate that. You're welcome. All right. I want to go back to the beginning because we talk about being child stars here at the Little Me Podcast, and you have such an interesting, incredible story. So um, let's go back to the beginning. You grew up in Missouri. I did. A little where, town called Trenton. All right. I don't know where it is. I worked at the Arrow Rock Lyceum Theater in 2002. I don't know. Arrow Rock is kind of on the east of the state, okay. and we're directly across from Arrow Rock on the west corner, kind of right by Iowa and Kansas, uh, in Grundy County, the number one methamphetamine producing oh, county my God, how nice. in the world. Well, you know, it's really nice to be from a town that is famous for something. Listen, um, did you see the, the documentary on Netflix, The Act? No. Oh, wait. Is that the one with the, the mother, like? Yeah, the wackadoodle yeah. in the wheelchair? Yeah, yeah. Um, the girl is in prison across from my high school. 
Great. But we're also famous for Tam, super what's her, classy things. Oh, her name's Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Um, it's I'm I, I'm obsessed with true crime, so I'm got you. All right. So you're in Missouri. Where how does how does New York, Broadway, Hollywood, how does that start for you? Uh, I was I, I started singing in church, which I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Very, very like a movie. Um, I, I remember we got indoor plumbing when I was like eight or nine okay. at the church. You, let's remind people you are not in your seventies. This was like, no, I'm not, this, this is 1986 or something. Yeah. 1988. They got, okay. um, I, I seem to believe that was the summer they got indoor plumbing and it's just so country and with no money and a farming community out in the middle of nowhere, literally the middle of nowhere. Um, and uh, there was an outhouse and there was, but there was music. We didn't have a great sound system. There was just music. There was always so much music and it was really celebrated to perform and to lift up your voice um, it, within the church. So I started singing so young, singing songs from Bible school. And of course I was raised, raised on very, very religious, religious music, but also country Western. And then every weekend, if you put tinfoil on um, the uh, the antenna of a radio and you put it right in the corner of a basement on a shelf, you could get a disco station out of Kansas City on the weekends. And again, this is not 900 years ago. It was not that long ago. Uh, we were just country. So I had like a, a really big love for that gospel styling of dance music. And then country music is my base. And of course, gospel and contemporary Christian music was a big influence. Uh, people within my church would find opportunities in the, in the paper and um, send them my way. I started auditioning for a large regional theater in Kansas City called Starlight Theater. Oh, I've and, been there. Uh, yeah, I would do summer theater there as a kid and honestly made connections there at seven, eight years old that are still business connections that I'm sure like theater is like a huge outdoor theater. It's like, like it's a smaller Muni, but it's very similar. In it's scale. the same size. It's the same size. Yeah. They're like a sister theater to Muni. Yeah. And, um, you know, Kansas city was two and a half hours from where we lived. So it was a huge sacrifice for my, my mom to take me to rehearse every day. You know, it was like three weeks of summer. Yeah. You'd rehearse every day and then you'd do the shows for a week. Uh, and one summer I got cast in Annie. And the girl who was playing Annie, uh, her name was Danielle Finley. She wound up, she went on to play Annie in Annie 2, the revival that mm -hmm. almost came to Broadway. Uh, but D Annie had done Broadway before and she was so connected in New York. And she introduced me to her New York agent, Nancy Carson, uh, who I signed with from Missouri. And she called my parents and told them she had some auditioning opportunities for me in New York. And my dad after enough phone calls and poking and prodding, um, he sucked it up and spent money he did not have to take my brother and my mom and I to New York for our first like real family vacation out of state. And we came to New York and I, he gave me a voice lesson with Robert Marks. Marks. I, I was like, you know, I know exactly where this is going. <laughs> and it was just like, it was such a pivotal weekend because I mean, he, I remember walking up to Robert's store and my dad gave me a hundred dollar bill to pay him for this. And I, every time I talk about it, I, I start tearing up because I remember that day I was just beside myself because you just growing up country, you just know how hard it is to make a hundred dollars and how far a country family can stretch a hundred dollar bill. You know, they can live on that for a month so yeah. easily. 
And remembering my dad giving me that $100 bill to take a voice lesson, my first voice lesson with Robert, uh, who essentially taught me how to audition in an hour. And from that audition, I wa- we went to um, start our chain of Broadway calls. And by the end of the day, I was cast in Secret Garden and my mom and I moved to New York uh, about a week later. Okay, that's insane. What do you remember about that audition? Um, I remember they were asking me to try to emulate an English accent. And I said, well, I speak English. And they were like, um, (laughs) uh, not exactly what we mean. And I had such a country accent. I'm sure that it was even thicker than hell back then. Um, just so country. And I remember, uh, Janine Tesori was playing my audition, um, which is hilarious as well. And, um, you know, all of these incredibly important theatrical legends were in the room, but they meant nothing to us because we didn't even know what Broadway was. Had you not seen a Broadway show yet? I had never left Missouri. No, what I mean on that trip. That was our first day. Yeah. So you, oh my God, the first day you get, you go to Rob Marks and you go right to your audition. Yep. We flew in that night. We went to sleep. We woke up the next morning and went to Robert Marks, then went on a series of auditions And, um, they, uh, you know, I was again, so country that I, at the end of the audition, it was such a thing that you do as a kid because you don't know any better. My mom, as they walked us to, we were at the St. James theater and singing on stage, which uh, doesn't happen anymore. Um, and after the audition, my mom said, do you have any idea when you'd let us know one way or the other? And they were like, well, now, um, we'd like you to start rehearsing next week. And. I remember the the whole family was like, what? <laughs> How do we do that? And um, they had me try to emulate. They'd, they'd have somebody speak in an English. Barbara Rosenblatt was the vocal coach, mm-hmm. uh, dialect coach. And she, she comes up on this podcast so often. <laughs> she's the connector. Yeah. Honestly, she was um, such a kind woman. Uh, she was always introducing me to things. I remember she bought me a, a can of Ovaltine because I didn't know what it was. And she kept talking about Ovaltine. And I guess it's just a city thing that country kids don't have. <laughs> uh, things like that. She would she would introduce me to New York delicacies. Uh, but she would speak in the accent and ask me to replicate it. And uh, then they were asking me to uh, sing from the score. And I, you know, I'd been taking piano since I was born so I could sight read which is, I guess, is very unusual for a kid that age back then. And, um, you know, back then it was just a different world. There was no online. There was no mass cattle calls. Child actors weren't really, uh, you didn't see them on TV. You didn't see them, the process. So not as many people found the opportunity for their kids to perform as now. Mm -hmm. Now there's just a wealth of opportunity. It's overwhelming. (laughs) It's overwhelming. But back then, honestly, in the country, there was a handful of little boy performers who could sing, read music, who had had any acting experience, who could move a little. Um, So it was just right time, right place, opportunity struck. And you started rehearsals the next week and you and your mom moved to New York? We did. We moved and um, started rehearsal, like, again, the day after we moved here. I was living in the Strand on 43rd and 10th. Yeah. Uh, I now live across the street. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I, uh, we, I went to the professional performing arts school, which I'm sure you've heard that word a lot in your life. And I discovered so, I discovered so much music and I was immersed in 
a completely different world. How did your mom do with that enormous transition? I think my mom thrived. Um, you know, my mom and I butt heads uh, on politics and and religion and so many base fundamental values. But uh, what we do share is a sense of adventure. Uh, my mom loved New York. She got a job at a place called Mama Leone's, which was an Italian restaurant right above um, Phantom of the Opera, like that corner building, uh-huh. you know, that corner that's like a gift shop now yeah. and a hotel. On the second floor, it was this really famous Italian restaurant called Mama Leone's. And she uh, got a job answering phones and they kept saying, we'd like you to say, buongiorno, this is Carol. And she'd say, buongiorno, this is Carol. Can I help you? She got <laughs> demoted very quickly to being a hostess at the restaurant and she loved it. And she worked at the embassy suites hotel, which was a hotel on times square, right by the palace mm-hmm. or above the palace theater. Yeah. Really. And she would work in, they called it the cool cat kids club. It was like a Garfield themed daycare. So she just had all these jobs while I was in she school. She would just drop you off at the theater and go to work and yeah. go to school. Um, tell me about, you're starting performances. So you were a replace an early replacement in the show. Mm-hmm. And um, so tell me about that first time you went on. What do you remember? Nothing. <laughs> okay. I just don't remember it. I remember getting a lot of really beautiful gifts and thinking, cannot believe people spent so much money on flowers and just couldn't fathom the attention. And I just didn't think it was that big a deal. I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't understand what I was doing, which was good because otherwise I would have been stressed out. Yeah. And it probably felt fun to you that you were getting to perform with all these incredible adults and this beautiful show. And I didn't know who they were. So, you know, Howard McGillan and uh, Daisy Egan and John Cameron Mitchell and Allison Frazier and Barbara Rosenblatt. And and, uh, they, they were just nice people. Rebecca Luker. It's incredible. Do you remember the first time you saw the show before you went in? I did. Um, I didn't see the show until I had already been offered it, the role. Yeah. They, I, we saw it that night after I offered it. They offered it, and I had just it, – it blew my mind because who knew that theater could be so lavish and could be so um, colorful and exciting and gorgeous. Just every second of it was a masterpiece, that original production. And I was saying when Daisy Egan was on the podcast, we talked a lot about it being people of our generation. The first time they saw maybe a dark musical, it had been you really didn't go with your kids didn't really go see Les Mis. And so it was anything you saw was very family friendly or an old school musical like in Oklahoma or Music Man. People weren't seeing like dark, interesting musicals. So it sort of opened up this sort of box of young theater fans that felt like they could connect to a musical that felt interesting and introspective and had ghosts and it had feelings that were beyond being cute and charming and, and charming and smiley. So I've really I'm sure, never thought about yeah. it like that. I think you're right. No, that now that you say it out loud, I've I've never heard it worded quite like that. Well, anytime I'm happy to, I'm happy to share all my thoughts on the secret garden. Cause I think it's like the most perfect musical and we desperately should have a revival of that show. When- I went to see the Lincoln center, uh, revival and it was beautiful, uh, a gorgeous cast, but I had kind of, what it made me realize is the ending is very flawed. They're just like, everything's fine. <laughs> Right. That it was like dark, 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 climbing up the mountain. This is so hard. This is so hard. And boom, we're done. (laughs) And I didn't remember it being like that. I remembered it being more um, poignant and more uh, 
round. I, I, I just felt like it really rounded the corner a little more strongly than it actually does. The show is just so gorgeous and so perfect. And the ending is what it should be. It's just the transition it just happens part. too quickly. It happens so fast yeah. that they tie it up with a bow. Uh, you know, that happens every once in a while on Broadway. Um, were you auditioning for other Broadway shows and things while you were doing Secret Garden since you were now living in New York, going to PPAS? I think so. I do remember going to a lot of commercial auditions. And I remember being in the final calls for Home Alone and um, for Radio Flyer and a lot of kid movies that I was just very close to. Um, <clears throat> I remember auditioning for a lot of pilots. I sang a lot. I sang everywhere. Brittany and I used to sing just anywhere they'd let us. And we there was a space where they did the original um, pageant mm-hmm. right by Bird, where Birdland is. I called the Blue something or other. And uh, they had a big open dance floor that Brit, I remember doing shows there at 11, I guess, 11 and 12 years old, that we would just do a cabaret to karaoke tracks. Oh, my God. Where is that video? Uh, <laughs> you know, we didn't take video. I know. No one did. Back then because it, everything was, you experienced it and you walked away and there was no social media. <clears throat> so capture, we didn't even take as many pictures then. Um, so there, I don't have a lot of documentation of that window of my life. Yeah. How long did you stay in the show? About a year. Okay. And then how did Star Search come out? Did it come out during that time? came out during it. Um, it had actually started before it. Uh, I was doing a show at that same theater. I was doing The Wizard of Oz the summer after I did Annie. And I had been sending in tapes to Star Search my entire childhood. And they called me while I was doing that show and were like, can you fly to LA right now, essentially? And it was just, I couldn't. I was under contract with Starlight and it was heartbreaking. So the casting offices were in New York City, even though they filmed in L.A. And my mom, when we got to New York, uh, one of the first days I went to school, she took the day to find the office and go talk to them and drop off a cassette and say, he's here um, and he's available. So I got a call one day that they wanted me to fly to L.A. to compete as uh, like kind of a last minute uh, fill in for somebody who had dropped out or something. And um, I thought I was being punked by my brother. So I hung up on them several times, (laughs) just kept hanging up. And finally they were like, I'm not going to call you again. I'm (laughs) kind of thing. And uh, what, just a few weeks later, I took a weekend off from the garden and I remember Alison Frazier and John Cameron and everybody was helping me pick music and kind of encouraging me. Uh, We flew out for the weekend and I did my first episode and that's kind of how it worked. What did you sing on the first episode? <laughs> um, I had I sang a song called "The Time Is Now," that um, was an original song by my uh, my vocal teacher at PPAS, Aziza Miller, who I'm still in contact with. Um, and Brittany had sung "Love Can Build a Bridge" by the Judds. Yes, <laughs> it is an epic performance from both of you, and everyone should watch that on YouTube immediately. Hey 
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Was there a level of stress that you were feeling like that your, your mom, your dad, your family was making all of these opportunities happening for you that you had to deliver? That you had maybe, to win? Maybe at first. Um, there, but, but overall, no, um, because everything was just sort of happening and sort of unfolding. I do remember when I was, um, when my contract wasn't renewed at the secret garden, uh, because I was getting too big for the role, I definitely felt like I had let everyone down and it was heartbreaking. So after you, so you do star search, you win star search. You have to go back to secret garden, obviously, because you just took weekends off to do that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, what was that experience like going back into the show after having this other big sort of TV experience and the whole world watched star search. It was such a big deal. Um, the way star search was filmed was it was, uh, it didn't air for five or six months mm -hmm. after the, you filmed it. So you kind of had to keep it tight what happened, but it wasn't like keeping it tight now. Like now you sign NDAs. Back then it was like, Just don't please, tell anyone. <laughs> please don't tell anyone. And if you do tell anyone, they probably don't matter. So, but try not to. Now it's like heavy duty. If we see it in print, you're disqualified. Um, it's just a very different world now. Uh, that coming back, I mean, of course, the cast was celebrating me and, being awesome and so super supportive. So I just felt like a big, big deal. And I felt like a star. And I think I probably let it go to my head a lot. Tell me about Britney Spears. When did you first meet her? Star Search. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we knew of each other, uh, but we first really got to talk and become friends on Star Search. And our parents became really close. Um, because you were kind of both doing the same thing. You're kind of country kids that were making it work in New York because that's the same time she was doing Ruthless. She wasn't doing Ruthless yet. She, um, after Star Search, her, she and her mother moved to New York and we were very tight. That uh, They stayed with us for a while when they first came to the city. Oh. And after I left the city, anytime we'd come back for an audition or for an opportunity, we'd stay with Brittany and her mom, Lynn. And... Uh, we just had so much in common because we were country and had similar upbringings. And uh, like you said, we were doing the same thing and we, we would share music, we would share opportunities and auditions. And it was just awesome to have a friend who was as motivated and as interested in what we were doing as I was. So it was probably not a surprise to see what she, like by 1997 or 98, you know, all anyone was talking about was Britney Spears. Like, there's nothing that can prepare you for <laughs> your friend or family member becoming 
what Britney Spears is today. Um, and I remember the summer before it came out, her dad had sent me like the original cassette demo of um, Baby One More Time before it was way before it was released. And they were using, he and other people in the biz were using words like, she's going to be bigger than Michael Jackson. And we were like, yeah, right. Fun. Good story. <laughs> Don't like it is, Mother Goose. <laughs> so you did see your garden until you outgrew it. And then did you guys have to go back home? Was that yeah. what? Yeah, we stayed in New York for a little while, but you know, we didn't have the the budget to just stay there without an opportunity. And when you're leaving a show as a child actor, especially as a boy, you're entering a world of voice change. Yeah. And I just I, my voice never really cracked and dropped. It just I lost all control and I lost my range. I just couldn't figure out how to navigate the the upper range and the lower register in a way that I had been able to as a kid. And um, I, I'm blessed that I was encouraged by my family and my church to keep singing through it. And they were really supportive of the journey of learning. And um, I think that if I had stopped singing, as many kids do, because they don't understand how to navigate it, it probably would have gone away and my voice probably would have dropped. But somehow my, my register and my palate stayed really high. So how hard is it for you to go back to regular school kind of in the country after having this big city experience? Were kids horrible to you? Were they were like, did they want to know everything about it? It was a little bit of both. It was horrible. It was the worst year of my life for sure um, because it ranged from people being so intrigued and impressed with what I had done and wanting to know about the experiences to people being so turned off and, you know, just finding me. If I did talk about it, I was bragging. If I didn't talk about it, I was stuck up. I was, uh, and I'm sure I had an inflated view of myself and I'm sure I made a million mistakes, but neither here nor there, it was the worst year of my life. And what grade was that? Seventh, eighth. And Star Search had aired already. Mm -hmm. And so everyone kind of had seen that. Yes. Um, was there an initial... Were there so many people that would walk up to you or see you and be like, I watch you on Star Search. Was that happening when that? Um, you know, the, no, because in my hometown, it's like, you know, people would say that, but you know everybody. Mm -hmm. You don't see anybody that you don't know there, you know? Yeah. So they, um, all, they all know the story. They all know exactly what's happening. And the local paper is called the Trenton Republican Times. Ooh. It's about 10 pages. Um and so you're on the cover, if you breathe, uh, it's really easy to get a news story there. And um, they were always incredibly supportive of me from the time I was a little boy until now. Anytime I do anything of note, it's um, the local radio and local paper calling to interview and write about it. It's, it's, it's kind. It's cool. Did, did you do your high school musicals? Did they we do musicals? Yeah. We didn't have a theater department. We just didn't have arts. So how do you get through this next four years before you can really, are you coming back and forth to New York? Are there auditions that come up? I am coming back and forth to New York, but for probably two years, I really just spent the time navigating, figuring out how to, how to sing again. Mm -hmm. And I really dug into country music, which took me to Branson, Missouri, which um, is kind of the country music capital of the Midwest, where it looks like Las Vegas, where older country stars 
um, kind of ride out their twilight years singing, um, doing these large production style shows. And I sang with Johnny Cash and Glenn Campbell and the Presley's Jubilee. And I did a show called the young Branson stars and young country and, um, cut my teeth on guitar and accompanying myself and singing with a band and singing backup vocals and arranging backup vocals. Which has been the trajectory of all of this incredible work that you've done. Like we learned yeah. so much in those years that people don't realize are going to have such a big effect on a career. Huge effect. Um, the things you fall in love with out of necessity, because that was what available to, was available to me. I dug so deep into country music and um, I, I just love country style. And it's, um, again, I feel like that's why Rachel Potter and I became such close friends when we first met. Um, and there have been so many people in my adult life that moments circle back to Branson. I did a, a show, I did cast party with Jim Caruso last week mm -hmm. and he brought on Pam Tillis, which if you know, country music, you know, Pam Tillis is Mel Tillis's daughter, and she's one of the greatest singer-songwriters in the country, you know, anthology. Uh, and some her album, Spilled Perfume, is uh, one of my all-time favorite albums. So he let me chat with her online, and we got, I got to ask her a bunch of questions. And it's wild, because he knows how much I love 90s country music. So you were back on Broadway and Wicked. Uh, did it feel so wild to be back doing a Broadway show again after doing all this choral work and having not done a Broadway show since you were a kid? It was wild. Um, when I first came to New York, I started, I was singing in open mics everywhere. And I had, um, I had released a, a gospel dance single on uh, a disco label called West End Records that hadn't released a song in probably 20 years. And I toured internationally promoting that record in nightclubs and circuit parties and things very, uh, in every gay disco across, around the world, um, I sang that song and had a lot of success in the dance music industry, but the dance music uh, industry sort of suffered after 9-11. And um, back to the drawing board of I had was lined up with gigs. It was like 9-11 killed, um, killed my gig calendar in the same way that COVID-19 COVID has. has killed my gig calendar this year. Well, you made it through that. You're making it through this. <laughs> so I, I started doing a weekly show at a club called XL on 16th Street. Oh, yeah, I remember. Um, that. Broadway performers would sing every Monday and uh, they gave me my own show after guesting on several people's shows. Jay Rodriguez um, gave me a lot of really great opportunities there before I had another Broadway adult contract. And I really cut my teeth on creating my own act and creating my own show and putting a band together as a, an adult and building my rep. And um, just through singing everywhere around town. And when I was a kid on Star Search, I was on Star Search with Billy Porter uh, who was such a mentor to me coming to the city and provided endless opportunities uh, and introductions for me. And he had introduced me to his friend, Matt Zarley, a recording artist who was tight with Stephen Aremus, who was a budding music director then. And eventually Wicked needed a um, high tenor. And just like when I was a kid, there really weren't that many of us back then. Um, screaming high tenors wasn't the trend yeah. in the early two thousands like it is now. <laughs> and I feel like the work that I was doing and that Billy was doing and a, a few of us, um, uh, 
kind of changed the trajectory of what a tenor is seen as today. Cause there, you know, we were singing wicked was like, we're having a really tough time finding a tenor who can sustain B flats. Well, B flats are like home base for a tenor. Now you, you have to have a B flat as a baritone now. So you did wicked for how long? Like, Almost four years, I think. And that was, you really joined that show like almost right in the beginning, right? Yeah, right after it opened. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it's so thrilling to be part of something that was so embraced by everyone. And it was being a hit show like that is like such a dream. It was. Um, and then you followed that up. Your next Broadway show was Xanadu, which is one of my favorite things I've ever seen on Broadway. And that's how we sort of know each other because you are our skating coach at Broadway Workshop for yeah. our production back in, I'm looking at the poster, 2013. Talk to me about working on Xanadu. Uh, Xanadu was awesome. It was such an, the whole experience was awesome. It was, um, I had done a Gypsy of the Year or Easter Bonnet skit for Wicked that I had come up with a concept of, it was before, it was when we were just started touring and other productions were opening and Wicked was becoming more of a branded. Um, property. Yeah, branded property. It was becoming huge. Um, and at the time, Megan Hilty had joined as the uh, Glinda standby and Eden Espinoza had recently become the standby again for Alphaba. And she, so I had written this idea that uh, Wicked has gone everywhere. What's next? Wicked on ice. And so we rewrote the lyrics of Wizard and I to Wicked on ice. And our costume department built this elaborate costume design of all of the Wicked costumes, but as ice skating uniforms. And they flooded the stage with smoke and we roller skated to do this reimagining of Wicked on ice. And, uh, Eden and Megan played the uh, presidents of their own fan club uh, singing about Wicked on Ice. Um, and we, the, the number I had done the skate coaching with Rob Sapp. And uh, from that, a million people dropped my name to the casting director, which they brought us in. And <clears throat> we started as a reading, which days into the reading turned into a workshop. And it felt like as I remember it, it felt like during the workshop, we were getting an off-Broadway run. And then shortly after the workshop, they had a Broadway theater. And that was Jane Krakowski was originally part of the workshop. Is that right? She was. She yeah. was Kira and Cheyenne was um, Sunny. And uh, an incredible cast in that reading. Darius DeHaas and wow. Tyler Maynard, uh, Jen Cody. Um, and then, of course, the uh, Jackie Hoffman and Mary Testa that really made that show. God, brilliant. Just the greatest performances. Truly, truly. And then when we transferred to Broadway, we James Carpinello was um, our Sonny, and they had hired Carrie Butler as our Kira. And James had a horrible accident shortly into previews, and Cheyenne was really the only person who could have filled in for him on such short notice. And Cheyenne learned all of those changes in like 24 hours. Wow. And went on. And the audience just loved him. Um, and the rest is history for that show. It was just, it was such a magical discovery uh, working with the, the vision that they had behind that show. Well, we have to like, 
wrap up and do quick fire questions and obsess, but I have so many more things for you. Yeah, recently, you've just been doing a, like a bunch of TV stuff, doing Grace and Frankie, Two Broke Girls, which is I was obsessed with. But when you were a kid, you were on Unsolved Mysteries, which is like my, my favorite show. So tell me where I can find you on Unsolved Mysteries. This is just for me. I don't care if I I don't know. I do have one like really bad videotape that I've been trying to transfer, but you know how video was back then? You just couldn't get a well, good- Well, every quality. episode is on on Amazon. Is it? Yes, all 13 seasons. Well, I'll hunt for it because I know I was in, I did a lot of seasons or I did a lot of um, cult episodes. It was the year of Waco. Ooh. And they were, cults were popping up everywhere. It was like, cult was that year's COVID. Everybody was talking about cults. Cults. So you'd, they'd, they'd bring you out to a farm and they'd give you a backstory. And it was the funnest improv because there was no real script. You were doing like reenactment yeah. and somebody would be playing the crazy preacher and you'd be all sitting around like the crazy cult <laughs> church members. And I just thought it was the funnest ever. Uh, it was my first experience with really solid craft services. Ooh. Yeah. Love that NBC universal, um, Unsolved Mysteries craft services. You know it. It's so exciting. Okay, Marty, what are you obsessed with right now? Two things. Um, I never in a million years would have gotten involved in either of these things before quarantine. But in quarantine, I discovered Real Housewives. Oh, Oh my gosh. I spent so many hours watching New Jersey, Beverly Hills, Dallas, New York, and Potomac. I'm obsessed. What's your favorite? I think Potomac and okay. Beverly Hills are my favorites, but Dallas is amazing. I just feel like nothing's better than New York, but we can we can fight it out. New York is not my favorite. All right. I think Beverly Hills, they take more fabulous trips and yeah. they have more fabulous um, glam teams. Glam teams, which so, you know, you also have your cosmetology license and you I'm do. So into the glam. Every time I see anyone with like a great haircut, I'm like, oh, you look great. They're like Marty Thomas. Ah, thank you. So um, you can go to Marty for that as well. Yeah, Marty Thomas and hair. You, on do, you really do everything. Uh, I'm a hustler from way back. I love Real Housewives. And we recently started from season one, episode one, because I had never seen it, Survivor. Oh, so fun. It's amazing. I had never seen it. I didn't know it was such a fun show. We're I started it last week, and we're already on season six. And we're trying to get through 40 seasons before season 41 airs in February. Well, luckily, you'd never need to know what happened the season before really to to watch the current one. So you'll be okay if you need to start season 40 or whatever in February. There are so many. Um, they, they leave out episodes on Hulu. They'll like, you can't watch. So that you episode. can buy it. You have to buy you it. It's so rude. You can't even buy the episode. You have to get a. Uh, subscription to CBS to watch it. I'm not okay with that. My obsession this week is so basic. It's Taylor Swift's current album, Folklore. I'm obsessed with it. I've never been obsessed with her. I cannot name one other song she sings, but that album is so good. I'm so here for it. So between Marty's album and Taylor Swift's album, you're covered musically for the next couple of weeks, friends. Um, All right. Are you ready for the Broadway Workshop quickfire questions? I woke up ready for this. Okay. Favorite holiday? Halloween. First Broadway show you saw was also the first Broadway show you were in. Um, Did you have braces? No. Tell me one thing about Mary Testa. Um, Gorgeous, naturally curly hair. I can't get enough of her hair. (laughs) First audition song. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Favorite song to sing right now. Uh, Anything by Dua Lipa. 
singer you're most obsessed with? Shoshana Bean. If you brilliant. If you can go back and do one performance of anything in your career, what would it be? Hmm. One performance in my career, if I could go back and do that's a lot of years of performances. <laughs> um I would go back and do Star Search. Yes. Um, if you had a yacht, what would you call it? Hmm. If I had a yacht, what would I call it? I think I'm so basic. I would probably call it the boat. I love it. Um, <laughs> okay. Do you remember your Wrangler's name on the Secret Garden? Uh, Betsy. Oh, very nice. What would your superhero power be? Flying. Most recent Broadway audition? Lee. Um, most recent Broadway audition. Mark, I haven't auditioned in a long time. All right. Well, we'll make that happen after this is all over. I did book a show. I was going to do a show. I was going to do sideshow. Um, and uh, of course it got canceled oh. because of COVID. Rachel Potter and I were going to be doing it together. As Daisy and Violet? <laughs> <laughs> she was Daisy and I was the ringmaster. Oh, very nice. Was, we were so excited. I'm, I'd love to see your Daisy and Violet with her, um, if that's an option. Can you imagine? Okay, your favorite alphaba. Oh, gosh. Why has you got to be so hard? I Jessica am. Vosk. She's brilliant. Um, what do you want on your bagel? Um, all the cream cheese and locks and capers. Pre-show ritual? Pre-show ritual. Hmm. I like to take a shower before a show. I do. Strangest stage door interaction. That could go a long way <laughs> with Wicked. Um, uh, strangest stage door? I mean, I in the early days of Wicked, people would follow me home. Oh, so weird. So I think that's the strangest yeah, stage door interaction. Do you do any impressions? No. What is your go-to album for a car trip? For a road trip, probably Donna Summer, Greatest Hits. Yes. One production show role you'll never get over not getting. An angel in kinky boots. Ugh. Worst audition you can remember. Um, In my life. Ooh. Well, uh, you, you may have dodged a bullet with that one. Well, my agent didn't tell me that he had Tourette's. And apparently everyone else was warned. And I didn't know. And in the middle of my song, he started screaming and I freaked out and I have crazy anxiety and loud noises, horns and yelling shut me down emotionally. Yeah. I, I can't like my boyfriend gets so mad at me when people are screaming on the street, I lose all focus and I, I can't, I stop functioning because I, I fight or flight and I uh, stopped singing. I almost cried and I fled. That is a, that's a story. Um, it's a bad audition. <laughs> okay. I want blank to movie to be a musical. Uh, Hocus Pocus. If you could do it with Patti LuPone on one song, what would it be? If I could do it with Patti LuPone on one song, WAP. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is your favorite app? My favorite app is Instagram. Uh, what is your favorite Britney Spears song? Uh, breathe on me. And I know you can answer this, which most people cannot. Can you name two housewives? Oh God. Yes. Um, Erica Jane and 
Lisa Renna, I guess. Yeah, that's great. That'll I do it. Housewives for you. Can I tell you that at your episode 19 of this podcast, and only like two people have been able to name two housewives. Well, it's also very recent for me. I've been immersed in housewife I mean, land. It's a great hobby. Does anyone call you Martin? Uh, one best friend from high school. Uh, her name is Kara. And really, that's it. I guess my brother calls me Martin Page. Oh my God, I love it. I was it. named after my grandfather's, and he calls me Martin Page. Name a musical you're okay with never seeing again. Hmm, a musical, um, On Your Feet. If you can go back in hot, time. Hot. <laughs> if hot you feet. Hot Feet, different. different. Um, if you can go back in time and see any Broadway show, what would it be? Oh, any Broadway show? Yeah. Original Lacage. Ooh. Have you ever left a show at intermission? Uh, no, even no. for shows Good. I really wanted to. Good call. That is very impressive. No, what I movie- always want to what movie can you watch over and over again? Drop Dead Gorgeous. If you can star on Broadway tonight in a show, what would it be? Hmm. Gosh, if I could star on Broadway in a show tonight, what would it be? Marty Thomas live on Broadway from the palace. Yes. Um, I love that. What a good way to end it, Marty. There are so many more things I wanted to talk to you about. You've had the most incredible career. You've done so much for the nightlife community in New York City, the gay community. Everybody loves you. There's no one in this business who doesn't know you and love you and follow you. So I'm so thankful that you are part of this today to share your kind of experience growing up on Broadway, which I think is just so interesting. And uh, tell the people where they can find you and follow you and Download your album and all that. That was so kind, Mark. Um, you can true. find me on Instagram at Marty Thomas Loves You, Marty with a Y. And uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Marty Thomas B-Way, B-W-A-Y. And then my website, MartyThomas.com. Uh, I would love it if you would go find my album, Slow Dancing with a Boy, out on Broadway Records. It's on iTunes. You can find hard copies on the Broadway Records website, on my website. And of course, it's on Spotify and anywhere that music can be downloaded and streamed. I have All two right. new albums coming out. Uh, so follow me and ki- catch up. Yeah, get on that Spotify and subscribe to Marty so you know everything he's doing. Um, And remember to subscribe to me at Mark Tuminelli on Instagram. But also remember to follow the Little Me Podcast at Little Me Podcast. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. Marty, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it so much. You're the best. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash littleme. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at ThatTuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.